Well, if you want to turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. You can be praying. I'm trying to decide exactly which way I'm going. I'm thinking about um, week after next starting the book of Romans. So that will be uh, quite a journey. But um, until then, I'm filling in. <laughs> and so we're looking at James today. Just two verses. I will talk about all the verses up to these two, but I mainly want to talk about these two. Verses 17 and 18. Every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change or no shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, of his creation. Father, we thank you for your word as always. Thank you for the singing of your word, the things that we have recited together, the truths of the faith, of the church throughout the ages, and we pray now that you would just uh, break this, your word, the bread of life to us, that we can understand, and that we can heed what is taught, and that we can worship you today, and always, and glorify the name of Christ, we pray in his name, amen. Well, if you're familiar with the book of James, and we kind of went through this book several years back together. So you may recall that it's written, of course, by the brother of our Lord, whose name is James. And it is a book about action, it is a book about religion, it is a book about faith, and it's a book about justification, though it's not necessarily a book that goes into great detail from a theological standpoint about how God justifies sinners and counts them holy and righteous, even though they don't deserve it. But it's more of a book about how sinners who have been justified by God's grace are to act and will act in response to that grace and to that justification. And especially as it relates to the sec- what we refer to as the second table of the law or the Ten Commandments, which is basically summed up as love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so that's what James is about. And you may remember also that he is writing to those Jews who were scattered in what's called the dispersion. We read about in Acts chapter 7 where the church was scattered after the crucifixion of Jesus and especially after the persecution of Stephen. And that's how God begins the Great Commission in fulfilling it as he scatters the church out. And so James writes to those who are being persecuted, who are hiding out, who are Worshiping much like some of those we pray for every, every week that are worshiping in secret and never knowing when they're going to be found out. He was writing to those about practicing their religion and practicing the Christian faith faithfully even while they're suffering trials of all sorts. In fact, in the beginning of the book, in the beginning of this chapter, James says, you should count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Because it's the trials and the difficulties that God uses to grow you and strengthen your faith. And through that, you learn endurance and you become perfect and complete, lacking nothing, James says. So remember the context always. 
That's who he's writing to. They're suffering great persecution and trial, maybe in danger of death and suffering physically. Those were the trials they were enduring, and certainly we can bring that to bear on our own lives and the trials and difficulties that we have. But we are to be reminded that trials are brought to us courtesy of God in his sovereignty. It's through trials and through learning to trust God in our trials that we really figure out just how out of control of everything we really are. We do not control our own destiny. We do not pick and choose our trials. Interestingly, God instructs us through James that if we have difficulties understanding this idea of trials producing blessing, then we should ask God who gives liberally to all those who ask for wisdom. Now remember that, the context of James 1 where it says, if you lack wisdom, ask God, he gives it liberally to all who ask. That's been brought out of the Bible made to apply to all kinds of things. But in the context, what James is saying is, if you're struggling and suffering and you're having trials and you're wondering how in the world is this going to lead to anything good and fruitful in my Christian life, James says, well, then ask God for wisdom and understanding that. Ask God to give you wisdom to understand that it's our faith that's being strengthened. And we should ask Him faith without doubting, expecting our faith to be strengthened. <coughs> that's an interesting take if you read James and study that chapter 1. We're not being taught to Hey, in trial and temptation and difficulty, ask God, how do we get out of it? No, he's saying rather ask God to give us wisdom and understanding how this is going to strengthen our faith through it. In other words, help me, Lord, to understand so that my faith will gain and so that I learn endurance because I need endurance to stay in this race of faith in this nasty world that encourages me all the time to get out of it. Of course, we know we can't get out of it, but the temptation is real. The flesh wants to quit, wants to bow out. So James says, but let the lowly boast in his exaltation, or literally let those of humble circumstances boast that he's really been given a high position, for the Lord has done that. And also let the rich boast in his humiliation because the Lord has done that also. Now this is earlier in chapter 1 before 17 and 18. I just want to put this in context before we talk about those two verses. That's amazing that the Bible teaches us, hey, if you're down and out or if you're on the top of the world, so to speak, all that comes from the Lord is to give you perseverance. But especially to those James is writing to, hey, whether you're in hiding right now or you're right in the, in the middle of arrest or persecution, how's that going to strengthen your faith? Paul said much the same things in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, where he says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in every circumstance, though. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he makes a statement that we all know because it's painted on signs everywhere and taken out of context, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
specifically when I am being exalted and when I'm being abased. When things are going well and things are not going well. When I'm being persecuted or when I'm avoiding persecution, Paul says, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a different way to think of that verse, but that's the context of it. So if God raises you up to face trials or brings you down to face trials, James is saying rejoice in that because it's for your sake and God's glory. Now I think those verses 5 through 11 right there about the rich and the poor is kind of a side note about this life not being the point. In other words, we have something else we're striving after. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. God has made the high low and he's made the low high at times because this life is not what matters most. You can have it all and soon you'll be dead. You can have nothing and soon you'll be dead. That's kind of James' point. And thinking about that proverb, the, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. But be not deceived. Don't give in to temptation of the flesh because this life is fleeting. Don't give in to sinning in order to keep your earthly riches. Don't give in to sinning to gain earthly treasure. Testing is for the purpose of growing you, gaining your endurance and patience. Now also I found it interesting that this, some think this is a metaphor for spiritual richness and poorness. And if you think about it in those terms, it's kind of interesting. So that James is saying, hey, those of you who are rich and exalted, in other words, those of you who are believers and you recognize everything you have, count that joy. But maybe some of you who are lowly in spirit and you haven't grasped all that Christ is and all of your salvation, consider that blessing too. Because reality is you have it all. So in your lowly state, you've been exalted. In your rich state of spiritual blessing, be, hum be humbled. And rem remember where you came from and how it is that God saved you, though you didn't deserve it. It's an interesting way to look at it. But getting to our passage today, he says in the context of all this, every good and perfect gift comes from above. So they have trials and temptations. And temptations don't come from the Lord, but trials do. If they teach us endurance, they are good. In fact, the same word perfect here is the word used in verse 4, where it says that trials produce endurance and eventually perfection, which means completeness or whole. Possibly James is alluding to final salvation. In other words, perfection means coming to an intended end, lacking nothing. So wherever you are and whatever it is that God has in your life has you struggling with, and you're being not tempted, but you're being tried. This is from the Lord. And they come down from God the Father, and they're good, and they're perfect, and they are going to be complete in nature or complete you. They're good, James says, because God sends them. They lack nothing for their intended purposes. Too often we forget that the grand purpose in our salvation 
is God's and not ours. We live in a self-centered world. We live around self-centered people. Sometimes we ourselves are self-centered. And we think everything exists for us. And somehow we forget that God brought us forth by his own will, James says, and for his own purposes. And these purposes and his will were determined long before we were even created, before there was an earth, that we would be the first fruits or an offering pleasing unto God. This is why we are saved. And understand that if you have never trusted Christ, the point in this is, yes, you get salvation. You get forgiveness from your sin. You get a stay from the judgment, the rightful wrath of God. But ultimately, God is glorified in this. God, the Father, brought you to the Son. The Son redeemed you and gave you back to the Father. We belong to Him. It's a glorious thing. That's why we don't say things like, Jesus came because you were worth it. No, none of us were worth it, but he came and through him we find our worth. And in him we find our worth. But again, in a self-centered, self-focused world, we have shifted the gospel away from God being the point to us being the point. The focus in the gospel is God. Now again, I'm not saying you're not important or you don't matter. But what I am saying is that God receives the glory and we're the beneficiaries of what God's work has accomplished. And the purposes of God, James says, will stand because there is no shadow of turning in God. No variation or change. You know, shadows exist because something is changing. The earth is rotating. Her positioning changing in relation to the sun. Depending on where you stand under a light, you cast a different shadow. It's probably a reference to a sundial. If you've ever seen one of those, the dial doesn't move, the sun moves, and it tells you what time of day it is based on that. And James is just reminding the people that he is writing to, hey, your circumstances may change, your trials change, but God does not. Unlike the circumstances, God never moves or changes. It's a very important attribute of God that he always is the same. Our confession says it this way, God alone is immortality, dwelling in light that no one can approach. He is, he is unchangeable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, in every way infinite, absolutely holy, perfectly wise, wholly free, completely absolute. He works all things according to the counsel of his will, unchangeable and completely righteous will for his own glory. Your circumstances will change your Testing and trying will change, but God is the same. <coughs> Malachi said it this way. 
God said through Malachi, I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. In other words, God is not capricious. He doesn't act one way one day and another way the next. He is always the same. Hebrews 13 and 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. <coughs> so not only does God nat- God's nature not change and his character doesn't change, but neither does his will or his decrees. And this is very good news. Because what he has decreed will stand. And what he has willed will come to pass. So when the Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, shall be saved, that's the truth that will stand for all eternity. And whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the truth that will never change. No matter how many new churches pop up and no matter how many new gospels pop up, the truth will always remain. Those who believe in Christ will be saved. If you look to Christ in his perfect life, in his death in your place, in his resurrection, in his ascension, and one day his return, if your hope is in that, it will last and stand. Because the other thing that God has decreed is that anybody he does save, anybody who does have faith in Christ, there's none who can take them away from God. There's neither power nor principality or angel or height or depth, Paul says in Romans 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And since God never changes, that will be the same for all eternity. He can't go from bad to good or from good to bad. He can't go from good to bad because he'd no longer be God. And if he went from bad to good, then suggest he was not God in the first place and was lacking. And so I think it's good to look at the scriptures and see that this is the way God has always dealt with his people. And you can go back through the Old Testament as well as the New Testament and see that through trials, God brings his people to where he wants them. This is how he is determined to make his children better. And no wonder James calls it good and perfect and complete. Jesus suffered for the ultimate good. So we must see suffering and trial through this lens or else we will become depressed or stunted in our growth or else prove that we never belonged to begin with. So James says to his listeners, hey, right where you are is where God has you. And it's going to be okay because God has ordained this as such. Yes, he's given you a mind and a brain to think and to act. And through all that, he'll bring you to where he wants you to be. Charles Spurgeon said, trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and let us see what we are made of. He also said, so surely as the stars are fashioned by his hands and their orbits fixed by him, so surely are our trials allotted to us. He has ordained their season, their place, and their intensity and the effect they shall have upon us. 
The end of our hope is reality. That's the good news. James calls it the crown of life, eternal life. There's an old song that says, one day our faith will give way to sight. That's the good good news about our faith. So one day we don't have faith anymore because we'll see in person all that we've hoped for and believed in. These trials are a weird thing. But we all go through them for a purpose. Be careful that in your trial you don't give way to sin. But in your testing, pray for wisdom that God will strengthen and encourage your faith. I'll close with this passage from Romans 5 that I think says it well. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that no matter where we are right now, we can trust that you have us there for a purpose. And I pray you would help us to do as James instructs us to do. This is your word that's instructing us to seek you for wisdom and understanding. How is this going to play out the strength of my faith? How will this help me in my walk as a believer, my life as a believer? How will this help me in my family and in my family's future? Just remind us that these things are not accidents. And we can trust you to strengthen us and grow us. And give us more faith to believe that uh, one day we'll, we'll see in full and know in full. But for now we just see in part. As though looking through a glass dimly. But one thing we do know is that you are true and that your word is true. And that our faith is real. And we want, to, we want to be strengthened in our faith and in our hope and, and in our patience and all these things that we just read about and endurance. No matter how long we have here on this earth, um, it'll be worth it all when we see you and we, our hope uh, and faith give way to sight and reality. And so just remind us of that and keep it before us. And... Um, Lord, just strengthen our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.